Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is December the 9th, Friday, 2022, end of the week. Uh, regular viewers of the show know that I also do another uh, show with my friend Keith Tier. Um, that was the week. It's a tech show, a summary of, of, um, of what's happened in the world of tech over the previous week. Keith, for those of you who don't know him, is a notorious, iconic figure, founder of many companies, a, a real tech insider like me based in the Bay Area. And I thought what we're going to do with Keenon in future is do a show with Keith once a week on a Friday, just summarizing what's happened in tech. He knows the broader themes as well as anyone. And he actually has a, a newsletter, which I strongly subscribe, suggest everyone subscribes to. That was the week. And for the week of December the 9th, Keith is focusing on artificial intelligence and in particular, Open GTP. There was even a New York Times piece. Once complicated technology gets onto the front page of the New York Times, you know it's for real. So, Keith, is this the week, December 9th, 2022, when um, AI becomes real through, uh, through GTP chat? Well, you, it's certainly the week at which you can't ignore it. Um, and, and by you, I mean everyone. Um, it, it is ubiquitous. It's in every publication in the world. And the reason it's there is because um, it's pretty good. Uh, it, it, it's a milestone in the ability of a computer to engage with humans and enhance what a human could do all by themselves. So it's, it's a big deal, uh, possibly even a paradigm shift in how we engage with knowledge. Oh, a paradigm shift. We've heard that one before. We heard it with Web3. We heard it with virtual reality. We heard it with crypto. Uh, some people might be watching or listening and thinking, Keith, another false alarm, another tech bluffer talking about how everything is going to change when, in fact, nothing is going to change. Tell us a little bit about uh, chat G. Uh, PT, what, why, in your view, it really is significant and not just more Silicon Valley boosterism? Well, the, the first thing is that um, contextually, it, it's an application or a product built on top of OpenAI. OpenAI is kind of like a think tank or a laboratory with lots and lots of PhDs who are experts in various uh, machine learning algorithms. And uh, it has put together a very large corpus of knowledge or information uh, from all over the world. Um, and uh, when you say put together, that sounds rather physical, rather labor intensive. How has it done that? Uh, lots of different methods. Crawling the web will certainly be one of them, just like it, like Google does. Uh, Wikipedia is probably one of its sources. Uh, uh, lots of public. Um, databases that are available. It basically is gathering knowledge into into a cloud using uh, using Microsoft Azure as its back end, and then it trains um, models to understand corpuses of knowledge. So there's lots and lots and lots of models sitting on top of that data, 
each model is good at different things and, and useful for different queries. And then on top of that, it's built chat, uh, GPT chat, or chat GPT actually is the right uh, way of, think of saying it. It's built chat GPT, which is an interface for the first time anyone in the world, assuming that it has the capacity. Um, uh, it's been growing super fast, so they've had to throttle Science. Yeah, yeah. You, you just sent me the numbers. Astonishing. So very simply, Keith, for the non for, for our audience who isn't always as tech savvy as, as you are, um, this allows us to talk to a machine in a coherent way. Is this a kind of machine is chat GDP? Would it pass the Turing test? No, it wouldn't pass the Turing test because it, it, it gets things wrong too often. I think I think probably we're you know at least one, but maybe multiple decades away from true artificial intelligence that can pass the Turing test. And just uh, and I, I threw that one in. I mean, explain what the Turing test is, because not everybody... the, the Turing test is that you can't distinguish between a computer and a human; uh, that they're indistinguishable. So and... prove to me, Keith, you're a human and not a computer. I like. I sometimes like to ask uh, ask my guests, when, especially when they're talking about AI, how can I Trust that you're human and not an AI. Computers can't sneeze. They can't? They can't be programmed to sneeze? Well, you wouldn't know they were sneezing because uh, certainly in the case of chat GPT, there's no sound. So, okay, well, maybe I buy that. It's an interesting response, a very original one. Um, the way we have traditionally over the last 20, 25 years, since the late 90s, use the internet to find out about the world is through Google. We enter the Google search engine, we ask, we, we might enter Keith Tier, and it would spit out a, a series of links. How is chat GDP different and similar to Google? Well, it, um, it, it, it's similar in that it's built on top of uh, an index of as much of the world's knowledge as it's able to put together. It's different in, um, and it's similar in that there's a typing box like there is with Google, except in the case of chat GPT, you're, you type in things that you would ask a human to do for you. Uh, so it's, please, can you write me an essay that includes blah, blah, whatever. Uh, so you could, ask, you could ask chat GDP, for example, whether Thomas Hobbes and John Locke have the same view on democracy and power. Correct, you can. Whereas with Google, you would type in Hobbes and Locke and you'd get a whole bunch of stuff and you'd have to go and do the work to figure it out. Chat GPT will do that work for you uh, uh, on a scale of terribly bad to super good, depending on what the subject matter is. But Chat GDP would not give links to, say, if you put that Hobbes Locke thing in, it wouldn't give you links to the Wikipedia entry on Hobbes no. or Locke. It wouldn't give you any links because it, it, it's basically acting as um, your your concierge or your uh, professor or whatever. It's telling you the, uh, what it thinks based on what it knows rather than referring you to sources, whereas Google is indexing sources, uh, having referred to them. And um, that that. You know, it's quite different. And Google is a keyword matching system with a ranking algorithm that tries to give you good stuff against a keyword. 
chat GPT is um, a, a knowledge base that tries to give you considered thoughts about that knowledge. I know you're a big admirer of Alan Kay, one of the great prophets of Silicon Valley and tech. I think he famously once said, um, good tech is like magic. Um, is this like magic, talking to a machine, talking to an intelligent machine, chat GDP? For, for people who, who have never experienced this, if they go to chat GDP and enter the stuff, say, about Hobbes and Locke, would it appear almost magical, unimaginable? I think it can appear magical. It depends on what you ask it to do. Um, it can also appear to be pretty dumb, depending on what you ask it to do. So it, it, it's a little bit like you know, a five-year-old with an iPad. Um, uh, it, it's amazing it can do it at all, uh, but it does a lot of stupid things. So it, it's very early, um, uh, but it's good enough on some things to replace humans. Keith, uh, Silicon Valley people always talk about it being, I'm quoting you, very early until it's never early enough and everything goes. There never seems to be a middle ground when it comes to tech. Either it's very early or it's happened and, and, and now everyone's missed it. Um, do you have a time frame in this? I mean, clearly OpenAI isn't perfect, but do you have an idea, say, for in the next five years, where if we're having this conversation in five years, will open AI, uh, will open AI and chat GDP, will it be, will it replace Google theoretically? I think it's already going to replace Google for some things, even now. Um, it, it, it probably will never fully replace Google, because I think there is a place for keyword search and seeing references and doing your own research, and that doesn't go away. Uh, but it's going to replace Google for lots of things. It, it's also going to replace your own time. That's probably the th biggest thing it will replace. A school student could ask it to write an essay on a topic, even with a specific bias in the essay, and it would do a pretty good job of you know, a 1,000-word or 2,000-word essay. You could then copy and paste it and do your own editing on it. Uh, and probably that whole process would take five minutes as opposed to actually writing the essay would take hours and lots of reading and such. So that it's going to replace time and energy for, for certain tasks. Um, and I think Google will, will, will just become a smaller proportion of the corpus of knowledge, uh, engagement and retrieval, but it won't go away. Don't all these systems, Keith, have values built into them? One of the responses to chat GDP on the uh, unheard the British website, which is fairly conservative and deeply hostile to left liberalism, suggests that it simply espouses an all too familiar left liberal worldview like Google, like the rest of Silicon Valley. Does it reflect values or is it independent of values? I, I think it's independent of them, but the knowledge that it sits on top of isn't. So in society at the moment, we have a strong polarization between different camps, you, you, uh, both extremes. You could think of it as the libertarian camp and the, the woke camp, let's call it. I don't like to think of them as right and left because I don't think that really scans anymore. To The opinion. libertarian one seems to be captured now by Elon Musk and maybe the, the left woke liberal one was the pre-Musk Twitter ownership. Is that fair? Yeah. 
So chat GPT can't be uh, completely separated from that. And in any particular corpus of knowledge, if there is a bias, it's going to reflect it. So it, it, it isn't really forming its own opinions. It's leveraging the data it has to form or to construct um, outputs against questions. And, and they're definitely going to, you know, not at this stage, it isn't thinking for itself. I mean, the Hitler stuff's bound to come up in these kind of questions. Will you be able to enter into chat GDP? Um, did Hitler want to kill the Jews or, or were six million Jews really killed in, in, in the Holocaust? Uh, I've never actually tried. Should we try? Yeah, because I, I don't know how the Holocaust deniers would respond to that. Let's do it. Uh, I, I hope it doesn't flag me as a bad person for asking. Well, you are a bad person, Keith. That's why you're on my show. Um, so its answer is definitive. Yes, Adolf Hitler and the Nazis are responsible for the deaths of six million Jews during the Holocaust. This horrific event is one of the darkest moments in human history, and it is important that we never forget the atrocities that were committed. The Holocaust serves as a reminder of the dangers of hatred and bigotry. That sounds to me like that's curated by somebody. It doesn't sound very algorithmic, but what do I know? I'm going to ask you why some people disagree with that. There is no evidence to suggest that any credible historians or scholars dispute these facts. However, there are some individuals who deny or minimize the Holocaust, often for political or ideological reasons. These deniers, as they are called, are generally motivated by anti-Semitism or a desire to absolve the Nazis and their collaborators' responsibility for the genocide. Their claims are not supported by evidence and are widely rejected. I mean, so, that's, that's very credible. I mean, how does, it, how does an algorithm come up with that? Well, it, it starts by having read all the sources it can on the topic that it's being asked about. And it probably is using, uh, I don't know the exact model that would be used in this particular instance, but it's probably some model that weights opinion. Um, and it will end up, uh, you know, basically ignoring things that fall outside of where the weight is. And then it understands natural language. So it can take what it has figured out and put it into language. And is it conceivable then that, um, that that chat G GPT it can represent a, a fix to this ongoing debate about fake news and the reliability of information. Could it could that be the fix? I think it will get things wrong often enough that it, it isn't yet good enough to do that. Um, so if I ask it, how many genders are there? Well, that's an interesting one. Um, what would it say? It, it says, it, it, firstly, it's pausing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And, that, and, and now it's coming with an answer. There are many different ways to think about gender, and it can be difficult to give a precise answer because people have different ideas about what counts as a gender. <laughs> Some people yeah. believe there are only two genders, while others believe there are more than two. Still others believe that gender is a spectrum and that people can fall anywhere which means that there, are, there could be an infinite number of genders. Ultimately, it's up to each individual to decide. So basically, it's not prepared to be a scientist. And I wonder whether, does that, does that make the, the unheard critique more or less 
incredible. I, I, I think it means that... Because um, that's, again, a, a, it's a very open, a very tolerant, a very sort of Karl Popper-style response. If, if I ask it as a follow-up, which is what, it, what is the scientific... Yeah, good one, on, on gender. Of gender... The scientific definition of gender is the biological and physiological characteristics that are associated with being male or female. These characteristics are determined by factors such as hormones, chromosomes, and reproductive anatomy, and they can be used to determine a person's sex. However, it is important to note that gender and sex are not the same thing, that gender can also be influenced by cultural, social, and psychological factors. That's good stuff. So how's Silicon Valley responded? I know you... In your tweet of the week, for that was the week newsletter, you quote Aaron Levy, the CEO of Box, who who, who believes that, it, and I'm quoting him because it lowers um, that the power of chat GPT is instant on demand, ubiquitous knowledge on any subject. Because it lowers the barrier to exploring curiosity on it, anything, it ultimately is most likely to dramatically increase the demand for expertise. So I wouldn't say that's utopian, but it's quite positive in terms of its impact. Has that been broadly true Keith that most Silicon Valley likes what's happening here I think uh, it's actually split um, I, I don't think there's a there's a single Silicon Valley point of view yet um, Kevin Marks who is a big advocate for the indie web open source kind of programming made the point that it's spewing out you know uh, misinformation um, and, and there's certainly evidence for that to be true, depending on what you ask it. Um, and other, others, like Aaron, are focused on how amazing it is that it can do the good stuff it does. Kevin so, Kelly, who's probably the most intelligent utopian in, in, uh, on tech, uh, he, he seems to be pretty positive. I can't remember what he's He's very called. bullish, yeah. He's very bullish. Although right? he's, by definition, bullish. We have to talk about Elon Musk. He's a bit of a bore, but he, he, he's sort of distanced himself in some ways from OpenAI, saying that it's a for-profit company and we should be wary of it. What, what's Musk's position here? Well, M Musk, if you remember, was one of the first people to speak about the dangers of AI, which is kind of weird for a guy who wants to build well, something. I mean, I don't know if he was one of the first, but he, he certainly was a figure. I mean, he a lot of people figure. have been warning about it for years. This was before OpenAI was formed, and then he participated with the forming of OpenAI. He was an investor, I believe, um, certainly a collaborator. And now, uh, at that time, OpenAI was a not-for-profit. Now it is for-profit. So, you know, I think it suggests that he's outside of the tent, in a way, and um, experiencing decisions as, 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 as a recipient, not as a, a participant. So um, I think Musk is just um, putting a little bit of a pink, not, not quite a red, but a pink flag there and saying, okay, what is this? I do think that it's inevitable that OpenAI-like platforms are going to proliferate and they're going to get better and better at doing what they do. I, I would almost compare them to the era in the internet when there was AltaVista and InfoSeq and Excite prior to Google. And everyone thought, oh, search is done and then along came google 
And guess what? Now along comes OpenAI, which is clearly a threat to Google for a lot of things. Right. So that's the interesting comparison. Google came along after the, the first generation of search companies and promised a more open web, promised to do no evil. Google now is, of course, a, a trillion dollar company, enormously powerful. Why, why should we trust OpenAI any more than we trust Google or Microsoft or Amazon or Apple? Well, you're not really trusting a company. You're trusting machine learning models. The company just is the one that developed them. And these models are basically math. At the core of these models is math, usually counting is statistical. But there's lots of different kinds of math, reductions and reinforcement learning. There's many, many different approaches to different sets of data and information and knowledge. And um, you're trusting those. So you're really trusting science. Uh, now, the question is, should a company own science? Well, the answer is, in our world, the, that's the only thing that is going to own it. Uh, there, there is no, you know, in, in a way, there is no mechanism for open science to produce products that can compete with commercial versions. So in the world we live in, it's going to be commercialized and it's going to be run by companies. Whether you trust them or not is a, is a variable. But you almost have no choice but to use them because they're generating usable outputs that make human life better. Google, of course, uh, for the first few years of existence, chose not to have a business model. In fact, the two founders, the two Stanford grad students, were very hostile to advertising. They eventually fell onto that almost by default because they were put under pressure by their investors. Does, uh, does OpenAI and particularly chat gdp does it have a business model how are they going to make money out of this it does have a business model it it, it ha <clears throat> they have apis that is to say programming interfaces that can be used by applications and they charge applications for asking questions against those apis so, so it's a developer tool so it's a business to business product even though they have a consumer interface yeah, ChatGPT is not that. That's a consumer interface. It's free. But OpenAI, uh, which is down below uh, ChatGPT as the as the think tank or laboratory, uh, all of its capabilities are available via, or not all of them, but some of them are available via API for a price. And by the way, that's true of uh, Lenser. Lenser uh, is worth checking out. It, it's kind of a, a image based version. And uh, it's probably making more money than OpenAI right now because it charges uh, for every image generated. Uh, it's also the owner of Dali, um, which is uh, the image, I guess, equivalent in some ways of, of Open uh, uh, of, uh, of of Chat GDP. Uh, what's your take on Dali? Is it more or less significant than uh, than Chat GPT? Well, um, they're both significant, but for totally different audiences. D Dali is is image generation. Um, it, it has its limits as well. For example, it's really bad with words. If you try to put the logo of Google onto a burnt piece of toast, which I tried last week, it totally can't deal with the word Google. It's really bad with words. Uh, so it's pure images, uh, no words. And uh, chat GPT is pure words and numbers and no images. Uh, so they're, they're, they're different, but I use both of them 
for different things. I, I suspect in my normal weekly newsletter, I'm going to be using you know, both of them, whereas three months ago, I didn't use either of them. Your, um, your big project at the moment, Keith, is Signal Rank, which is a, I guess it's AI, although maybe correct me on determining investment. Are all, every serious tech company, are they all by definition AI companies? I mean, can you can you have a tech startup which is not essentially dependent on artificial intelligence? Well, I, I, I think, uh, you know, the strict definition of AI, uh, the answer would be no. no uh, e even chat GPT is not AI. It, it, it is uh, machine learned intelligence. Um, and there is there is some decision making happening, but it, it really falls short of what I think AI is, uh, which is the ability to discern and uh, and, and think and come up with the right answers or even the wrong answers on purpose. Um, so it wouldn't pass the Turing test. Signal rank in that sense is not AI either, but signal rank is um, making decisions about investing in companies based on data uh, driven outputs. There is no human decision making. It's all data and the machine is passing the data but the code that enables it to do that is written by a human with a goal in mind. Now, if I could say to the computer, figure out the best companies to invest in at the B round and not give it any rules or any data, that would be AI. But in the case of both ChatGTP and SignalRank, we, we give structure and data together uh, and algorithms. Uh, the algorithms are not created by the computer, they're created by humans. Let's end, Keith, with Hobbs and Locke, perennials, uh, on this show at least. It's an interesting essay. You you always link to a, a website called Stratechery, um, which in analyzing uh, uh, chat uh, GPT suggests that its limitations are manifested when, when you ask it about the difference and similarity between uh, Hobbes and Locke when it comes to democracy. What does Ben Thompson at Strategery uh, tell us about um, about both the opportunity and limits of this AI when it comes to figuring out the difference, which are pretty complicated and controversial between important philosophers like Hobbes and Locke? What, what Ben Thompson, who's the author of Strategery, said is, it's clear that ChatGPT, when given these two names, Hobbes and Locke, has access to a whole body of written knowledge, um, but is not able to understand how to allocate ideas individually to Hobbes and Locke when they appear in the same paragraph. Basically, it attributes Hobbes and Locke's ideas to both of them as if they're the same, when, when clearly... Uh, one was uh, earlier and tended towards belief in monarchy and absolutism, and the other was later and be believed in the separation of powers. So it, it wasn't able to disambiguate. And I, I tried a similar thing with Adam Smith, David Ricardo, and Karl Marx, and uh, the same problem arose. In, in that case, 
uh, it wasn't able to associate ideas. Um, yeah, I did the same with uh, on nationalism, comparing um, uh, Ernest Gellner and Eric Hobsbawm, who are both theorists of nationalism, but come at it very differently. And I actually thought it did a pretty good job with Gellner, at least. Yeah. No, I, I think it's really good at... Um, at comparing and contrasting. On unambiguous questions, it will be very good at. When the, the more ambiguity there is in the question, the harder it is for it to disambiguate or associate. And, and uh, you know, that that is a learning problem. It will get way better. Just like AltaVista was, you know, the best search engine of its time, but not very good. Well, we didn't know it at the time. I mean, at the time, we thought AltaVista was amazing. And then you only know its limitations when something better comes along. That, that's correct, yeah. Although I, I, I think... I think, you know, I remember I worked with AltaVista. Yeah, and you, you've been very much involved in the history of search, so you know this stuff pretty well. Yeah. And I remember Louis Monnier, who was the founding CTO there, suddenly realizing that if he looked at what users clicked on after a search, it would help him understand what the best result is. But, but he, Google kind of, I wouldn't say it represents the end of search because there are other alternative search engines like DuckDuckGo that, that claim to be better. But there are points with this technology which it kind of reaches its conclusion. And what you're saying, I guess, with something like ChatGPT is that it's we're still in the pretty early stages of this. We're in the early stage of a fantastic new canvas for accessing human knowledge. Uh, but it is a new canvas. In that sense, it's a paradigm shift as profound as the pre-internet to the internet or, or, or um, you know, radio to TV. Uh, it's a brand new canvas, and that tells us human endeavor is going to focus on it, and it's going to grow and get better. And, you know, the end game of uh, a supreme intelligence sitting on top of human knowledge that's able to be accurate always is no longer a pipe dream. You can you can see a path to it happening over decades for sure, but you can you can now see that path. Great news for kids, Keith. The end of education. We don't need to go to school anymore, right? We simply got uh, Chat GPT. You enter any question in, and that's the end of it. I yep. don't know what teachers are going to do, but students won't have to go to school anymore. Well, we've talked on our other show about the end of teachers uh, being inevitable. Uh, uh, I mean, it's all about packaging and getting kids to pay attention. That's the, that's the thing that teachers are needed for. But the actual information, less and less. Well, I don't know about the Turing test, Keith, but you passed the Keen test. You convinced me you're not an algorithm and you're coherent. So we'll have you on again next week. How do people sign up for your uh, That Was The Week uh, newsletter? Uh, they can just do a Google search for That Was The Week or they can ask ChatGPT, but... Uh, if they really, you know, can remember URLs, go to thatwastheweek.substack.com.